1: Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you? <laughs> Well, welcome to the first episode of the Resident Evil Lorecast. The Lorecast, where we are going to dive deep into the lore of Resident Evil series. I'm your host, Aaron. And joining me are my co-hosts, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Hi. So let's kick this first episode <laughs> off. Episode one, we're going to discuss the origins of Umbrella. But before we do any of that, I think it best that we... Disclose how we first fell in love or when we knew we loved the Resident Evil franchise. You want to start us off, Ariel?
0: I first fell in love with Leon Kennedy.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: At the ripe old age. <laughs> ripe old age. I don't remember how old I was. Mm. But no, seriously. Uh, Resident Evil 4 was when I first fell in love with Resident Evil.
1: I think that was when a lot of people really knew they loved Resident Evil. Yeah, I've watched...
0: I I would watch my uncle play Resident Evil 1 and I liked it then but I never really played video games then. Yeah. So then when 4 came along and I played it I just fell in love with it.
1: And you went back and played the old ones? Yes. Yeah.
2: What do you you say, Daniel? When did you fall in love with the series?
0: Well, that's probably hit and
2: miss but... I guess mine started with the live-action movies, even though you know they're nowhere near the games. Yeah, but I guess when the red, even talk when the <laughs> Red Queen. Basically told them they were all going to die down in the hive. That was that w- probably the best line in that whole movie. They're yeah. all
0: going to die down here.
2: Yeah. And so it went from there, but I do prefer five, even though it doesn't have any zombies. But maybe, well, one snippet. But, but yeah, But you, see, you guys
1: make me feel so old because I fell in love with it when I watched the first review when it first came out on X-Play. Do you guys ever watch X-Play? Nope. Forever ago. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. When they did the review of that, I had to play it. And then my brother brought it over one weekend when he came home from his mom's. We played the crap out of it that weekend. And then it was that was it. I was sold from there. But uh, but anyway, all right. So now that everybody knows why we love and when we loved um, Resident Evil, let's dive in. So I believe Ariel has our introduction for how Umbrella was founded. Well, this is going to be direct quotes from the resident evil wiki.com page, right? Yes. Okay. So you got our stuff?
0: Oh, yes, I do. <clears> Hem. <throat> Early umbrellas. Also known as parasols.
1: No. No, no. wrong umbrellas.
0: <laughs> oh, not those umbrellas? No.
1: <laughs> We're talking about Resident Evil umbrella. Oh, uh,
2: then we did the corporation. We did the completely wrong research. Uh, oh yeah, my gosh! I'm
0: out of I'm out okay (laughs) for real umbrella corporation the three founding members were Dr. Oswell Spencer Dr. Edward Ashford and Dr. James Marcus who were all university classmates we'll go more in depth with them a little later all three were virologists having some associations with the eugenics movement in the early 20th century Hmm. Umbrella really began in 1966 when Marcus hypothesized a certain West African flower named Stairway of the Sun would bestow powers to whoever consumed it by a mutagenic viral infection.
1: Now, how did he discover this?
0: Well, the flower was discovered in an underground garden in the Depaya. I apologize if I butchered that. (laughs) I tried to figure out how to say that. Tribal lands with a virus discovered within it.
1: Okay. All right. That makes sense. So they were on like a, what? He was on like a African expedition or... Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay.
0: So the virus was then named the progenitor virus. They tried cultivating the flower in the United States, but it failed to replicate the virus. They realized they needed significant funding to make their dreams a reality. So Spencer then formed Umbrella Pharmaceuticals and established a base in the Depaya Garden so progenitor samples could be transported over the Atlantic instead.
1: Okay, so let me get this straight. He they basically fronted a business to hide what they were actually doing.
0: Yes. Yes, they did. That's
1: insane.
0: Well, it's Umbrella. Yeah, well, all right. You got me there. (laughs) The insanity only gets worse. (laughs) Requiring even more money, the three agreed to a plan known as the T-Virus Project, where they developed strains of the progenitor virus to sell to the U.S. military as a weapon.
1: Okay.
0: As Umbrella's power increased... The founding circle began warring with themselves, leading to the eventual deaths of Ashford and Marcus, which we will also discuss later.
1: I'm assuming it has something to do with Spencer.
0: Well see he's really good at covering things up.
1: Uh-huh, this is why he said we'll cover it later. Okay. Alright, we'll yes. cover it. We'll cover it in a future episode.
0: So in the early 1980s, Umbrella grew to such a size that it required regional subsidiaries to handle operations. Mm. Umbrella USA held control over American facilities and was based in Chicago, with the Arclay Laboratory being its main facility for bioweapons research, until the opening of the NEST in 1991.
1: The NEST?
0: Yes, the NEST.
1: As in like what was featured in the first film, like underground? Yep. Oh, okay. All right.
0: Umbrella Europe was formed in the 1980s out of the partial integration of Western Europe's national branches due to the frustration of Umbrella USA's influence over research.
1: So basically, they started the European branch because they're pissed because they had no control in yep. the U.S. research. I got you. Yep.
0: Sure did. Umbrella Europe pioneered the Nemesis Project that ran alongside Umbrella USA's Tyrant Project and would be integrated in 1998 to create the Nemesis T-Type.
1: Which is where Nemesis stems from. Yes. Ooh. So he's a combination of two powerful projects.
0: Umbrella Japan administrated Umbrella's research into biotechnology and machinery in
1: 1987. Okay.
0: Umbrella also acquired the Queen Zenobia, Queen Ditto and Queen Semir- Semiramis
1: now, what I if I those? said all
0: those right <clears throat> Those are big ships, big old vessels Oh so
1: they're using those to export import kind of stuff
0: Yep Ooh. They used those for the Paraguas Line Company which transported bioweaponry overseas Ah okay In the early 1990s the collapse of the Soviet Union allowed Umbrella to expand its paramilitary organizations by con- contracting mercenary work from communist guerrilla fighters and nationalist terrorists arrested after the collapse.
1: Which is why in three, I think it was, where you have... Um, oh, what's his name? Um, he's the Russian... Nikolai yeah so that's why we have Nikolai and stuff okay so that makes sense now
0: and they also used retired soldiers from the Warsaw Pact states
1: like Carlos and stuff
0: sure (laughs) this founded the UBCS or Umbrella Biohazard Countermeasure Service other organizations were Umbrella Security Service and Umbrella Intelligence Division Abrella also successfully implanted moles within the U.S. military.
1: Oh, no, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And mm. oh. scary. Think about it. A company, if we had a company like that today that was that big, I mean, who says we don't, right?
0: Yeah, we're not going to touch on that.
1: <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, to think a company that's gotten so big, they have not only foreign agents, like from, like, Soviet Russia and stuff, but they have moles within the United States. like They control everything.
0: Oh, yeah. Umbrella did control That's crazy. everything. Umbrella's influence over the nations it was selling arms to was so strong that even when number 57 plant in West Africa suffered an outbreak... The UBCS's massacre of everyone to contain the outbreak was covered up by the government, as well as the experimentation gone wrong in the Arclay Mountains, ending with no police investigation or media linking umbrella to the incident.
1: Now, if I remember rightly, that had to do with Shiva and her parents in Resident Evil 5. At least some relation. Okay, so we'll touch back on that in Resident Evil 5 when we talk about that one. But, yep. Okay, so... Moving on.
0: That is until the incident in Raccoon City.
1: Ooh. Everyone's favorite.
0: Yes. Will definitely be discussed later on. Okay. The outbreak caused the National Security Council, the president, and the Joint Chief of Staff to come to the decision on October 1st to destroy the city. And it was immediately bombed.
1: Which we all know and love from the first three games. Uh,
0: Of
2: course. (laughs) as one of the movies. Yep.
0: So, no longer able to ignore Umbrella's power, Congress voted in a session to suspend Umbrella USA's right to do business in the country and federalized its assets, while the president himself resigned due to public criticism of his decision to destroy the city.
1: We got to see some of that in Resident Evil 3 ending, I think, right?
0: I where, think so, where yeah. Where like they
1: were protesting and stuff. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, have to, we'll have to look back into that. Anyway.
0: So, until 2003, Umbrella fought an expensive legal case in the United States to reverse Umbrella USA's federalization and clear any association with the Raccoon City incident, which, if they were to lose, would bankrupt them.
1: Mm-hmm. I can see why, I mean, geez. The crap they pulled.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was going the lawsuit was going in Umbrella's favor until Wesker.
1: Of course, fucking Wesker.
0: Oh, Wesker. He made a covert deal with the court and provided excerpts of Umbrella's archives to prove their direct involvement in the incident. <laughs>
1: Yep. Typical Wesker fashion. He's literally been there in almost every game to ruin something.
0: Oh, of course. (laughs) But we'll touch on him later. Yep. So, after this verdict, not only did Umbrella Pharmaceuticals and Umbrella Corporation declare bankruptcy, but American and Russian intelligence services began an international manhunt for Dr. Spencer so they could arrest him for his crimes. I
1: don't know. Did they ever catch him?
0: It says that he was found several years later. Oh, so they didn't
1: catch him for years. Yep. Nice.
0: So with the bankruptcy of Umbrella, their Japanese branch was among the only remaining subsidiaries left. And itself went into liquidation in March 2004, when no company in Japan was willing to risk its reputation to purchase it.
1: Oh, of course not.
0: So, goodbye, Umbrella. Well, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> um, right. Well, I think this is a good part for us to introduce the middle of the show, where we're going to discuss some of the current topics in the Resident Evil franchise. Woohoo! Right. So, you heard that noise. It's time for the middle of the show, uh, where we're going to talk about current topics I brought to the table... Resident Evil Village DLC info. The most current topic we have for it. Um, During the June 14th presentation for Resident Evil uh, from E3, they announced that due to popular demand they're going to be bringing DLC to Resident Evil 3. And there's a couple fan theories out right now. Um, Some data miners have mined some images and some data of ADA, which is one of the most popular fan theories right now uh, of her as a plague doctor so a lot of people are thinking that one of the DLCs is going to cover some information about her and I'm I'm hoping I don't know if you guys are hoping for it
0: uh, most definitely <laughs> I would love to see some more on Ada
1: yes she has been an iconic character in this series forever yes what do you feel about she's a thorn in people's sides oh my gosh now, the, some of the other fan theories about it are it possibly, you know, like they did with Seven playing through Chris's side of the story. Um, there's a couple other fan theories about how you're going to play some other characters. I'm really hoping that it's either Chris or Ada, in my personal opinion.
0: Uh, yeah, I would love to see more on Ada. Yes,
1: but unfortunately we won't see that for a while. They They made it sound like they were working on it now since everybody demanded it. So, hopefully we'll see it soon. But uh, I think you brought some stuff for Resident Evil 4 to the table. Uh, yeah. Ooh, let's hear about that. That
0: remake, though. Mm,
1: tell me some good news. Uh, well,
0: <laughs> well, I don't. It's not good news.
1: Oh, of course not.
0: But it's rumored to be released in 2022.
1: Well, that's not too far off.
0: No, it just it got pushed back. So I'm excited for it. I hope they do it justice.
1: I do too. I'm sure they will. I mean, have you seen the new games? Of course you have.
0: Yeah, but 2 was awesome, the remake. 3 was short. 3 was short, yeah. and 4 is such a bulk of a game that if you shorten it, it's going to infuriate a lot of people. It's
1: going to lose a lot of its luster too, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What do you got for us, Daniel? So apparently, recently, Capcom has decided to make Resident Evil perfumes. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. What?
2: <laughs> well, and luckily, well, not luckily for us, but they are only available currently in Japan. I'm going to have to look into this. We might I have to mean, get
0: some. I'd rock some Resident Evil perfume.
2: You gonna smell like some Nemesis? No, can't smell like Nemesis. What? What do they have? The perfume names? They have the characters they're based off of. Uh, without translation, I don't know what they smell like. It doesn't. It's hard <laughs> to find a translation. But you have the three perfumes, which are. Um, Leon Kennedy. Oh, getting that one. Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine. I'm going to smell like some Chris.
0: I mean, I'll smell like Leon. I'll be perfectly fine with that.
2: But it's not said if it's like, do you smell like a zombie or, or what's going on? Do you smell? An example was like somebody's been running around without a shower. Ew. <laughs> I I mean, mean, this is true. Do you smell
1: like (laughs) blood gore and guts? I mean,
0: (laughs) well,
2: and currently it looks like if you can get them in Japan online or physically in stores, they run about 60 U.S. dollars
0: roughly.
1: I mean, you
2: you are paying for the Resident Evil,
1: you know, franchise name and Capcom. So, I mean,
0: I mean, I'd spend 60 bucks for Leon.
2: Well, and it looks like it says it's a mini perfume collection. So uh, the bottles are probably even smaller, but they're 10 <laughs> milliliters. So
1: hopefully you get all three then. No, I highly doubt it. Yeah, probably not. Well, at any rate, this is also where we will eventually thank our patrons. We don't have a Patreon set up yet, but we will get one soon once we figure out what our Patreon tiers are going to be. And on that note, let's get back to discussing Ashford. Ah. All right, Daniel. So you have brought us information on
2: Dr. Ashford? Professor yes. Ashford? Dr. Edward Ashford. Oh, Doctor? Yeah, this is, uh, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Edward Ashford is one of the first of three founders that we'll discuss that started the entity known as Umbrella Pharma- I can talk. Umbrella Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> Not Umbrella Farm. Umbrella Farm. Completely <laughs> I'm different. I'm sure they have a farm. <laughs> uh, they've got everything else. It's where you get your umbrellas for rain. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> while growing up, Ashford acquired a fascination with eugenics and later came into contact with influential James Marcus and Oswald Spencer through the virology circles. Probably said that wrong. <laughs> So some of this is going to be the same information that was said earlier. Okay, yep. So, in case I'm repeating myself, <laughs> well, repeating someone else. Uh, <laughs> during the 1960s, Ashford, Marcus, and Spencer became interested in the Stairway of the Sun, which we know. Yep. <laughs> a flowering plant found in Western Africa that Spencer and Marcus hypothesized would grant the consumer superhuman abilities with, a, with the virus created by the plant. After they recovered the flower, the men determined that they could could create a new era of educated superhumans.
1: Okay, so their whole agenda behind this was to create superhumans.
2: Yes, they wanted to create a new era of smarter, stronger people. Okay, so eugenics. Eugenics, yep. So, unrefined, the virus proved to be nearly useless to any that consumed it, as it was fatal to most of the subjects.
1: Okay, so just consuming just the flower itself was
2: fatal. Yeah, well, the, wherever the virus was. Yeah. So if it was within the flower, yes. So that's currently all I have for the Africa part. Yeah, we'll cover the rest of that in, I'm sure, five. Yes, more than likely. So after that, Spencer, along with Ashford and Marcus, agreed to a proposal by Spencer to create a pharmaceutical company to raise funding for the research into the progenitor virus created by the Stairway of the Sun flower. The three also agreed to use a progenitor virus in a project of bioweapons and eugenics for the American military while still working on pharmaceuticals. So they were, this is the point
1: where they decided to start making bioweapons for the military. Yes. For America, at least.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: As, as Ariel covered
2: earlier. Yeah. Like I said, it'd be repeated.
1: It'd be repeated some places. <laughs> but we're getting some clarification on these yes. areas.
2: And there will be more on that, like she clarified earlier. Mm-hmm. So then later on, while competing for results, the three founders created their own laboratories in order to experiment on their own. In the year 1968, Edward Ashford would be working with his son, Alexander, in their new lab in Antarctica that was a former mine.
1: Which wasn't that in one of the movies? Kind of. Well, I think Ashford was the professor in the... S- no, I meant like the mine in Antarctica, wasn't that? Yeah, that was movies? in
0: like, what, four or five? Yeah, one something of them. like
2: that, yeah. The movies we forget. <laughs> They're not <laughs> canon. Yeah. And it also takes place in another game in the future, mm. which is where we'll cover Alexander in a future episode as his role in this series is far from over. Oh, oh, oh boy. So in the... I can't even talk. In July of 1968, Edward Ashford met his demise from the exposure to the progenitor virus that looked to be an accident. It was actually set up by Oswald E. Spencer, who will be later covered in this episode. And that is all the information I currently have on Edward Ashford, as he is no longer with
1: us. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. So we are going to
0: continue with Marcus. Yep. All right. Dr. James Marcus was a virologist who pioneered 20th century viral weapons research. One of the founders of Umbrella Pharmaceuticals, he held the position of director at the company's executive training school and was among those responsible for the creation of the T virus. Ah, okay.
1: There's the our T virus. Yep.
0: We will be covering viruses very soon, actually. I
1: think it's next episode. We're covering all the 14 14.
0: viruses. Yeah. Marcus became obsessed with never-ending research while neglecting his other responsibilities.
1: (laughs) Go
2: figure.
0: Yep. (laughs) He became so twisted in his obsession... He got to the point of illegally using children in his research. Holy crap, really? Yes, he was not a nice guy. Uh,
1: No, he deserved every bit of death.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Seen as a threat to the company, Marcus was murdered in 1988. Good. (laughs) And his test subjects dumped into an underground river channel.
1: Okay, that's that's not okay, (laughs) but...
0: He was executed by The Umbrella Security Service Okay Which was orchestrated by Spencer
1: That's what I was waiting for (laughs) Spencer, Spencer, Spencer Dude's nuts Yep I mean this is the only one that I really applaud Spencer for To be
0: honest (laughs) And that's all I've got on Marcus
1: So we're moving on to Spencer now Yes, so there's a lot of information on yeah. Spencer, and I think he's the last one recovering. For yes, this episode. The, of the main founders
2: because the other, yep.
1: the other ones are what Wesker and they're the sideways founders. Well,
2: I don't think they're fine. Founders, well, yeah, per
1: se, they they play a major role. Yes, but we'll cover them as and when they come up in the series.
2: So let's see here. Let me start from the middle. Apparently, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've got here. So Doctor. Oswell E. Spencer was also an Earl. Earl? Yeah. His family was rich.
1: Ah, uh, okay. That yep. That makes more sense.
2: He was an aristocratic British billionaire, virologist, and eugenist. He was one of the founder of Umbrella Pharmaceuticals, as we've stated. Mm-hmm. Lord Spencer. <laughs> okay, yep. He'll be he probably has minions call him that. <laughs> Was the CEO and president for its entire existence of Umbrella, Mm -hmm. which saw its expansion as the Umbrella Corporation over the 1980s, as well as a bankruptcy in 2003, which was earlier discussed. Yep. He was a cold, ruthless, elitist, and ambitious individual. Spencer mercilessly eliminated his rivals, which we know of. Yep. And gradually increase his power within the company, which he strictly controlled behind the veil of darkness. Typical Resident Evil fashion. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yep. Spencer had a vision to remake the world and lead it into a new era, seeing the world's current state as self-destructive. He intended to use the research data accumulated from bio-organic weapons to carry out his vision and mold a utopia for mankind with himself as its ruler. So...
1: Let me get straight. He's going to create the perfect human. And he expects the perfect human to follow an imperfect being.
2: I don't think he had all his ducks in a row, probably.
1: <laughs> it doesn't sound like it from everything. I mean, to begin with, he tried to create biological
2: weapons to research them. It probably looked good on paper. And then in <laughs> practice, it's where it kind of roller Yeah. So. Okay. All right. So I guess we'll go. When he was a young boy.
1: (laughs) Back to the beginning. (laughs) Back to the beginning.
2: Spencer was born into a prestigious Spencer family, considered for generations to be among the European elite. Growing up in his family's castle overlooking a cliff on the British coastline, the young heir to the Spencer fortune was given a wide-ranging education and developed hobbies of art collecting and hunting as befitting of his status. Among his studies were classic literature, early modern human treaties, I believe, and the mid20th century eugenics movement. His personal favorite was the natural, can't even talk. natural History Conspectus, a rare late Victorian encyclopedia which chronicled a 34 trek through Africa by British explorer Henry Travis.
1: This is where the Africa exploration. Ex, now I can't talk exploration. exploration. Yeah,
2: You're getting all for me.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> the exploration comes to in the picture. I can see it now. I can see it all. So all coming clear.
2: But before we get to that, Uh-oh. Europe was plunged into the Second World War. Nothing is known of Spencer's life during this period of time, including whether or not he was. He, Whether or not he avoided conscription, although it is known his experience lived during the war helped form his worldviews. It's probably why he wanted to create the perfect human after all the fighting and everything. Yep. And yet you're going to make monsters. He seems like he's trying to find like to follow like the Adolf Hitler
1: kind of ideology of the perfect human. So now I hate him more. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't think it was possible, but thanks, Daniel. You made me hate him more. Oh,
2: don't worry. There's probably more I've got there. Yeah.
1: Spencer's a dick.
2: Yes, as I know in one of the games. (laughs) So, in the 1950s, Spencer was a university student training to be a physician. There he became close friends with Edward Ashford and an older student, Dr. James Marcus. While taking a solo hiking trip in Eastern Europe, he became lost due to his inexperience in the unfamiliar terrain and collapsed on a snow-covered road there he was rescued by Miranda the priestess and biologist of an isolated mountain village which worshipped the black god
1: yeah which we all get to learn about in Resident Evil 8
2: so he was taken in by Miranda as a protege and he learned about the mold which will be covered in the virus Mm -hmm. episode and its ability to mutate, assimilate and replicate life forms which inspired him a means to achieve evolutionist goals Although he enjoyed his time with Miranda and the vast biological knowledge he gained from her, the two held very different worldviews as Miranda longed to revive her deceased daughter while Spencer wished to change the world. Consequently, Spencer decided to leave the village, but would continue to keep in touch with Miranda by writing to her.
1: Which, again, I believe is touched on in yeah. Resident
2: Evil 8. Told you, I'm going through the history here. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to university. <laughs> <laughs> Returned to use university a changed man, Spencer became driven to replicate Miranda's achievements in his own ways as he deemed the mold ineffective to achieving his goals. With the Cold War intensifying, Spencer began to view humanity as a race destined to fall and believed that only through evolving mankind and attaining a superior moral code... Huh. Hmm. Imperial moral code for a man who it has no morals. Or at least it sounds like it. <laughs> it's better on paper.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> this could be averted. Though he lacked a means to accomplish this, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he believed the answer lay within the emerging field of virology. Soon Spencer formed a eugenic circle of like-minded scientists, including Marcus and Ashford, as well as two other scientists, one named Lord Beardsley. And Lord Henry. Lord Henry.
0: I imagine Lord Beardsley has
2: a beard. I, I can only imagine.
0: He's clean shaved.
2: <laughs> it tricks people. We're going to have to find a picture of Lord
1: Beardsley and throw it up on our Twitter page.
2: We'll just make one up. <laughs> we'll just make one up. All right. So now we get to the 60s. Oh,
1: now we're getting which, to the 60s.
2: Which is back to the flower. Yep. Back to Africa. Yep. At the start of nineteen sixty six, Spencer became engrossed once more in the natural history conspectus, having recalled an account about the, the Paya, a West African tribe of skilled engineers who rich whose rituals involved a magical flower which granted great power to those who could survive its poison. Of course he wants magic flower. Of course he wants the magic flower. Next he wants magic beans. <laughs> While Spencer was initially treated with appropriate skepticism due to allegations of yellow journalism on behalf of Travis, Marcus hypothesized that a virus could be naturally I'm confused now naturally produced by the flower and mutate the consumer. The virus would theoretically hold great promise in eugenics, intriguing the circle. In order to disprove or confirm the flower's significance, the three organized an expedition to the to West Africa to find it. While Spencer's involvement is uncertain, Marcus traveled to West Africa on a several-month search for the Depaia with his protege Brandon Bailey, and returned by February 1967 with proof of the virus's existence. Having isolated it with the Sonotrepe flowers? I think it's another language word, mm. growing in the ruins of the Garden of the Sun.
1: Ah, oh, the Garden of the Sun. Yeah, now we're back to five and mm-hmm. all the 60s. Yep.
2: Soon after research began on the virus, the Swiss university that Marcus worked for ostracized him following allegations of falsified data, which itself led to the cessation of government grants to his projects. Spencer used this advantage and employed his chair. Used this to his advantage employed his charitable Spencer Foundation as a means of funding Marcus's research on the condition that he operate within the Spencer Estates lab and avoid contact with any scientists outside their circle. Understanding the foundation would not be able to fund the project in its entirety, Spencer approached the circle in March 1967 with a suggestion that they establish a pharmaceutical company in order to raise the necessary funds. Ashford and Marcus agreed to the project, as we already know, despite an overall disinterest with Henry and Beardsley joining. So they were involved in the forming of this, of the company, but left not Not the big people. Shortly afterward, Spencer informed his old teacher Miranda of the discovery of the progenitor virus and decided to use the symbol that connected the four houses in her village as his company logo.
1: Which is where we get the Umbrella Pharmaceuticals logo. Yep. So of all of you listening and wondering where the Umbrella logo came from in 8 and why it was all over the village, now you have your answer. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I kind of like how they tied it all together. I do too. What will 9 do? (laughs) Tear it all apart.
2: Let's see here. Toward the end of the year, work concluded on a mansion built on Spencer's behalf in the Arclay Mountains, a massive in the American Midwest. The mansion itself was built atop limestone caverns, which Spencer planned, planned to use for the construction of an underground laboratory complex that would be hidden from public view. The biggest flaw in this construction project was that he chose a famous New York architect named George Trevor, known for surreal designs, Spencer admired, to build it. Upon its completion, Spencer realized that Trevor knew all the mansion secrets, including the existence of an underground laboratory, and panicked. Of course he did. (laughs) We know where this is going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The first victim to Spencer to fall.
2: I I think we're getting past that already. (laughs) Spencer quickly made plans to dispose of Trevor. Of course he did. (laughs) So that only he and his inner circle would know of the lab's existence. In November 1967, Spencer invited the entire Trevor family, including George, his wife Jessica, and 14-year-old daughter Lisa to the house to celebrate the completion of the mansion. Oh, on paper, it's good. <laughs> Unbeknownst to the Trevor family, Spencer planned to use them all as tough subjects in his progenitor research. Of course, there it is. Due to his, oh, due to George's busy workload... He could not attend, but told Jessica and Lisa that he would join them at the house later. As soon as the two arrived on November 10th, they were dragged away by Spencer's employees and taken into the underground caverns as human research subjects for the progenitor virus. Jessica died soon after infection, though Lisa survived with mutations. As George arrived at the mansion, he was captured just the same, but escaped from his room. He eventually fell victim to one of his own traps and died. (laughs) Any. <laughs> Lisa was kept as a test subject and would finally die in 1998. Holy cow. Right around the time of the Raccoon City. Yep. though no different incidences. Oh, well, looks like we're still in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> Did a l- lot in the 60s. Had a mansion built, killed off a of family. Some free love. Uh, <laughs> at some point in the late 1960s, Spencer worked with another scientist who shared his eugenics ideals, Dr. Wesker. Believing that pre- progenitor would only be useful to mankind if they could be trusted with its powers, Spencer concluded that the genetically superior humans had to share his values to become the ubermenschen, which is, I believe, a German word. It doesn't have a translation here.
1: Is it ubermenschen?
2: Yeah. 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 Umbrella began abducting children with superior genes and intellect from around the world and raising them with access to the finest education that money could buy. Upon reaching adulthood, Umbrella would determine the cream of the crop and infect them. This highly classified project was dubbed the Wester Project in the name of its leader. I got old Wesker. All right. So now Umbrella is currently established at this point. Yep. Yep. So with Umbrella established, Spencer became increasingly paranoid that his friends would threaten his own eugenics projects, which he intended to steer towards making him a god in the new world order.
1: Yep, sounds like Spencer.
2: So his duck, so he
1: just gets crazier and crazier. His
2: ducks are just leaving the row now. <laughs> Although he already controlled the project by 1967 when he secured Marcus's research, Spencer's paranoia escalated. A year later. (laughs) While running Umbrella Pharmaceuticals. Oh man, I'm dreading this guy already. (laughs) To procure more funding for their eugenics project, Umbrella entered a secret agreement with the United States military to produce biological weaponry and begin further projects to create mutant virus strains for military use. I don't think that will go over well. It didn't go over well at all. And then, like we covered earlier, they all worked separately on what they dubbed the T-Virus Project. Mm-hmm. So, rather than perform his own research, Lazy. I <laughs> got a lot to say. Spencer left the Arclay Labrador- Laboratory under the control of trusted executives and further worked with Lord Beardsley and Lord Henry. Again. Yeah. Marcus and Bailey continued to work on their own while Ashford worked alongside his son, Alexander, at their European home. Wow, still got more. <laughs> With progenitor cultures becoming too limited in number for large-scale research on the T-Rice Project, it became clear that Marcus and Bailey would have to travel to West Africa and secure more. Unlike the previous trek, Spencer instead hired mercenaries to force the Dapaya off their land and secured the Garden of Sun for Umbrella's own exclusive use. When news reached them about the success, Bailey was sent alone to cultivate the progenitor samples at a lab built there, isolating him from Marcus. Marcus himself was given his own laboratory in the Arclay Mountains close to Spencer's own. The Umbrella Executive Training School served as dual role as both laboratory for the t Rice Project and as a boarding school for gifted children headhunted by the Spencer Foundation as promising new executive scientists, which sounds like the children from the Wesker Project. Yep. See, the first true victim of Spencer's paranoia was Ashford, which we covered, who would die from exposure to the primitive T virus strain in a staged lab accident. Let's see. While his son Alexander was a scientist, he was trained in genetics rather than virology and was consequently unable to continue his father's work. This left only Marcus as the main competitor to Spencer so efforts were taken to steal Marcus's data for the benefit of the Arclay Laboratory (laughs) well let's see here in 1977 so we've made it to the 70s -hmm. the Spencer Foundation headhunted Albert Wesker for a job at Umbrella after he acquired a doctorate in virology at just age 17 wow these PhDs must be real easy back in the 70s (laughs) I mean, Wesker is a genius, though. But a doctor generally needs years and years of training. Genius. Can't tell me he started. He wasn't Doogie Howser of (laughs) Umbrella, was he? (laughs) Sent to the executive training school, Spencer ensured that Wesker and a fellow student, William Birkin, would abuse Marcus's trust in them and steal his research data. It's already starting out great. At the end of the school year, Spencer ordered... the school and the lab to be shut down, cutting Marcus off from his research staff and the children he uses as test subjects. Wesker and Birkin were immediately assigned to the Arclay Laboratory to take over as its chief researchers and use their own knowledge of Marcus's research to drastically alter the Arclay Laboratory's own T virus project. <sighs> oh. He's getting crazier. I can already see it. Yep. Despite Spencer's near total control over Umbrella, his paranoia continued to find new victims at umbre- as Umbrella expanded to the point of possessing its own paramilitary, the Umbrella Security Service. Wow. And he's got a service and he's already crazy. <laughs> Marcus continued to perform his own dedicated research into the late 18- eighteen yeah, 1980s, almost the 1890s. Woo, <laughs> he went back in time. <laughs> Hoping to use this to his advantage in securing the support of the board of directors and taking over the company. With Marcus now an immediate threat, like he wasn't before, Spencer ordered a USS raid on the training school and he was gunned down in 1988 with Birkin and Wesker in order to steal more research data. That's what you get for stealing. That sentence made it sound like those guys were also gunned down. So, clarification, they were in... Of this, yeah. So, <laughs> sentence was a run-on sentence. Yeah. That same year, he personally backed their proposals in acquiring a Nemesis parasite from France's Number Six Laboratory as Umbrella entered the 1990s.
1: Which Thank is you. where we get Nemesis.
2: Thank you, France. <laughs> Spencer continued to take a direct role in the company's affairs despite his own advancing age and confinement to a wheelchair. Beardley, Beardsley, and Henry would both perish over the next decade with their research inherited by their respective children, Mylene and Christine. Wow, your children are having rhyming names. Both of whom (laughs) were child prodigies. Deeply interested in the newly discovered Golgotha virus, also known as the Mm G-Virus, which was being studied by Birkin and Christine in France, Spencer funded a new nest facility in Raccoon City for the G-Virus project. Although intrigued by the virus's potential use in eugenics, it was instead funded as another bioweapon project for the U.S. military. An alternative eugenics project was assigned to Dr. Alex Wesker, one of the Wesker Project subjects, Wesker Project subjects, who Spencer became personally close to. Spencer awarded her with greater executive power through the construction of a laboratory at Sonido de Tortuga. He also developed a close relationship with Colonel Sergei Vladimir, a Spetsnaz officer whom the Soviet Union had used in human cloning trial during the Afghan war. In exchange for handing handing his 10 clones over for research on the fledgling tyrant project, Vladimir became a powerful asset in protecting Spencer's control over the company. So from there, I will go to Spencer's death. Thank God he dies. (laughs) Eventually, yeah, until two thousand six. By (laughs) two thousand six, Spencer was close to death. He lacked the strength to eat solid foods and spent most of his days sitting in the study. In a desperate last effort to survive, he ordered. Patrick to assist him in the development of a new virus by using test subjects confined beneath the Spencer estate in the hopes of healing his body. As these experiments led to several failed mutations, Spencer realized that his death was inevitable. He conceded that he would never realize his plan himself and enlisted Patrick to leak information on his location to Albert Wesker through an associate. Why would you want him to know? Spencer then dismissed Patrick from his duties and was left with only his bodyguards at the estate waiting for Wesker to find him. So in August of 2006, Wesker entered the castle and brutally murdered Spencer's guards before heading into Spencer's private office. In their meeting, Spencer explained the Wesker Project to him and why he himself was infected with the progenitor virus strain. However, Spencer lied when he claimed he was the sole survivor of the Wesker Project, probably in order to keep him keep him focused on his goal and prevent him from pursuing Alex. In general, Wesker was disinterested in Spencer's vision and while not expecting this frail old man to be much competition to his own goals, nevertheless decided to tie him up as a loose end. He brutally killed Spencer by knife handing him through the chest, proclaiming that Spencer was not capable of being a god and as such never had the right to aspire to that goal.
1: So the Alex that was mentioned. Is that referring to Alex Wesker from Res- Resident Evil Revelations 2? Yes. Ooh. So, the, uh, you know, Albert Wesker isn't the most
2: badass person on the block. <laughs> Not all the time. Not all the time. But anyway. So last part of Spencer. Even before his death, Spencer left a dark legacy through the viral research that he conducted throughout his life that would plague the world with large scale dissemination of bioterrorism, due to his negligence, of course, and not being able to deal directly with the constant leaks and desertions of his dishonest employees during Umbrella's final years, this allowed them to start selling BOWs to their rivals in the bioweapons black market since 1998, which culminated in the proliferation of countless outbreaks around the planet during the first decade of the 21st century, causing the death of thousands of people as a result. Overall, this made Spencer directly responsible for all the viral events that affected the world even after his death. So, long story short, Spencer is a dick. Yeah, and even <laughs> even his legacy of death still got people killed. So he offed a bunch of scientists. Well, first, not
1: even that. He offed the guy who built his mansion. Yes. Because he was afraid of leaks. Then he offed his fellow scientists because he was afraid of not having enough control and leaks. And then in the end, his entire team that he relied on leaked everything anyway to create BOWs.
2: Yeah. And then he leaked his own information to draw Wesker to him. <laughs> so he definitely, Just leaks everywhere. He definitely was off the <laughs>
1: uh, Okay. So what we gathered information-wise from this episode was the Umbrella Foundation basically sounds like it was founded based off the principles of Mother Miranda from Resident Evil 8, influencing Spencer. Spencer then gathered a team of scientists to work on the T-Project. Then he went from that to the G-Virus, Nemesis Project, and then other BOWs.
2: Well, he may not have been directly responsible for all of them, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Which we'll explore in the next episode when we discuss our 14 different strains of the virus or different viruses. So, on that note, thank you all for joining us. We hope to catch you next week. We're going to release these every Thursday. All right, guys. See you later.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RELurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger. What up to Night City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City. Cyberpunk, A Cyberpunk Red Live Play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos. Survive the streets and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello! This is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie, this is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. Well, what are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5 e DD D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Altaris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. yeah, sounds boring. i out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.